0: My uh, my two grandfathers and I were very close. I was close with my grandmothers also, but uh, my one grandfather taught me how to work, and my other grandfather taught me how to play. It was really that simple. And the grandfather that taught me how to play, he had retired from General Motors when I was six years old, and everything that he did, I loved. Um, he wasn't a great fisherman, but he taught me how to fish, and we would go fishing in, the, in, in Indiana, these creeks and rivers and streams, and, and I loved fishing with, with my grandfather, but my grandfather was a gunsmith. My grandfather, his hobby was guns, and this man was an incredible uh, gunsmith, and he had his huge collection, but he was also an incredible shot. He, he was known all over Indiana and, 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 and America for different, winning different competitions. And so my grandfather then began to teach me how to shoot, how to shoot muzzle loaders. Now, I love black powder. Because the black powder would stay on your hands and stay in your hands for at least three days. And that was cool as a kid, you know. You smelled like gunpowder. You looked like gunpowder. That was great until I got interested in girls. And it wasn't so great because girls didn't think it was great to smell gunpowder all over you. But my grandfather, looking back, he had this dream of helping me to become a national champion. Not just a state champion of Indiana, but it was really, as I look back on this, it was his dream that his grandson would, would become a national champion. And so what he did when I was a little boy, um, I was like in the fifth and sixth grade, he had this rifle made for me. And a special guy from Arizona uh, actually measured me. Had this gun. So as a little boy, I'm in the fifth and sixth grade, it's a very light rifle. These are not loaded, these are muzzle loaders. Everybody relax, okay? I won't point these at anybody. But I I shot this gun for years. I've probably shot at least 5,000 lead bullets through this one rifle itself. And I love this gun. And I did well with it. But then one afternoon, when I was in about, oh, probably about the 10th grade, uh, he came to me and he said, he brought this gun out. And he said, Kurt, he said, you're going to start using this gun from now on. And I said, why? I, I don't want to use this gun. This gun's heavier. This gun's not as pretty as the other one. I fell in love with this gun. This was the gun he had made for me when I was a little boy. He said, because you're going to win with this gun. This is a competitive rifle. It's got a heavier muzzle. It's got special triggers, special sights on it. And he said, this is what you're going to do, and you're going to use this gun. It was about three months before I actually could shoot this well. And I thought about that with Change this morning. We're starting a brand new message series called Change. I don't like it, but, but I, I, I need it. I, I didn't want to change. I thought this was my first big change as a little boy. This rifle over here is the one that I have just loved. But if I was going to be competitive, my grandfather knew that this was a better gun for me, this was a better situation for me, and I could win with this gun. And so I won't tell you what happened because it's a great story, but his dreams came true. I'll, I'll tell you that. But, but the, the cool part about that story was I began to learn that change would become a necessary component of, of everyone's life. Now, when we look at the whole religious system of Israel, Israel had not changed for over 2,000 years. And they were so used to doing the sacrificial system, they would come and offer the the blood of lambs and goats and turtle doves and pigeons and bulls to try to appease God's favor. But it never really worked. It just kind of soothed over God's anger for a little while. And so all of a sudden, John the Baptist comes on the scene And John the Baptist comes and he's preaching and he's teaching and he's baptizing people with water. And it's a baptism of repentance. And so they send all these guys out to John. They said, John, are you the Messiah? We've been looking for the Messiah. Isaiah told us he was coming. Jeremiah told us he was coming. Ezekiel told us, are you you the dude? And and, and John the Baptist said, I'm not. I, I baptize with water, but there's somebody coming who's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So when we see the life and the ministry of Jesus, and Jesus begins to do his ministry, and he's doing miracles, and he's teaching, he's gathering all these followers. One day, Jesus makes a statement. And Jesus said, he said, you know what? He said, I'm going to build my church. And when Jesus said, I'm going to build my church, nobody had a clue what church was. Nobody had any understanding of the word Church. It'd be, it'd be kind of like your, eighth, your eight-year-old saying to you one day, Mom, Dad, I'm going to cure cancer. You'd go, oh, that's nice, honey. Go out and play. That's good. You know, It's like that's a statement that's so large and so huge that, that nobody can get their minds around it. Jesus said, I'm going to build my church someday, and not even hell itself is going to be able to prevent it. And so now 2,000 years later, we see that there are churches in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria there are churches today all over Italy. There were churches in France, and there are churches in Spain, and there's churches all over Asia and all over Europe. There's churches in Afghanistan, Iran, Iraq, there's churches everywhere. Now, how did that happen? Because Jesus said to his disciples, the change was coming. And my secret weapon, my change agent is going to be my spirit and my spirit is going to change. Now, you, don't, you, may not, you may not want to change. You may not even think it's necessary change, but I'm telling you, when my spirit comes, it will change everything and everybody. And so in Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, this is now after the resurrection, Jesus comes and he says this. He says, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. He said, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift Now, what's the gift? Well, the gift was from John chapter 14 and John chapter 16, which was the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift that my father promised, which you heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit came, it changed everything. Now, the Holy Spirit was active even in creation. If you go back and look at the early chapters of Genesis, the spirit of God was hovering over the earth. And you begin to see that the spirit was definitely at work in the life and the ministry of of Jesus. But when Jesus said this statement, he said, guys, don't go out on your own. Don't build these churches on your own. Don't don't do this ministry on your own. Wait for the gift. When it comes, it will change everything. Everything. And so if you're a note taker, i got some things in your bulletin. i got a lot of stuff I want you to learn learn today. This is the current role of the Spirit today. How does the Spirit work today? Well, the Spirit today works in about these ways. The Spirit should dwell in people, not just on them. The Spirit should dwell in people. That's the role of God's Spirit today. God's Spirit is not just on you. God's Spirit is in you. Number two. Today, all people can have the Spirit, not just a select few. In the Old Testament, it was a few people that got the Holy Spirit. Today, God wants every single man, woman, boy, girl to have His Spirit inside of them. Number three, His presence. His presence would be permanent. Again, as you look through the Spirit in the Old Testament, God's Spirit would come occasionally and then it wouldn't stay around for very long. Now, the reason we're talking about God's Spirit is because God's Spirit is going to lead you to change. That's what He does. God's Spirit loves you as you are, but He moves you to change. Now, wouldn't it be nice if we like just start, started to embrace some of these necessary changes in our lives before these changes were enforced upon us? In other words, if you keep doing some of the things that you shouldn't be doing... You don't have a choice anymore. You lose your option to choose, and therefore, change happens to you, but it's enforced on you. In other words, you spend too much money. You keep spending too much money, spend too much money, spend too much money. Pretty soon, you lose the option with that, and some things are forced upon you. If you're married, and you don't work on your marriage, and your marriage goes south, your marriage goes AWOL, pretty soon, you lose the option to work on that marriage because change will be enforced upon you. It's exactly the same thing with God. There's a, there's a verse that says, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ will... Wouldn't you rather confess and wouldn't you rather bow today willingly than being forced to do something uh, uh, against your will? And so change is a part of your life and my life. Change, change will always... And the role of the Spirit is He takes you where you are but he will transform you. So Jesus said, don't leave Jerusalem. Don't go out on your own. Wait for the gift that my father has promised to you. Well, that came on the day called Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. So if you would, if you want to follow along in Acts chapter 2, here's some verses we're going to look at. Acts chapter 2 says, when the day of Pentecost came, now the word Pentecost is the word 50. And it just means basically 50 days after Passover. Passover. And so this is approximately now 50 days since Jesus Christ died. And so Jesus died, was buried, rose again, made 40 days of uh, post-resurrection appearances. This is about 10 days after Jesus has ascended up into heaven. And Jesus said it was coming. So they're all together in one place. Who's the all? Probably about 120 people. Verse 2. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Can you imagine if you missed church that morning? You missed the church service of all days, right? Hey, did you go to church this morning? No, I missed it. Anything good? Anything exciting happened? Oh, the Holy Spirit came. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Verse three. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. So, over all 120 of these people, Little bitty fires are like pilot lights are burning on and, and their two pays weren't catching on fire. Everything was good. Nothing, there were no problems. Verse 4. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, Jesus said, Don't go out on your own. Wait. Wait for the gift. The gift is coming. And when the gift comes, you won't miss it. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues or languages as the spirit enabled them. Verse five. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God fearing Jews. I I think this is a cool verse because we always talk about how will the gospel get to the entire world? The gospel already got to the entire world. You ever stop and thought about this one little verse? There were God fearing Jews and and Jews from Jerusalem from every nation every nation of everybody was already in the city. They were already there at this huge major uh, Pentecost event. They were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven for six. And they all hear the gospel. They all hear these people speaking the gospel message. A crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their Heard their own language being spoken, this is kind of the reversal by the way of Babel. Remember the tower of Babel in the early chapters of Genesis, where they all came together to make themselves great and what 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 did God do God confused their languages. Well, now this is the reversal of the Tower of Babel. God's now bringing clarity to all this. Tower of Babel was like this incredible rebellion. This is now the the hand of God. Tower of Babel, everyone left confused. Here, everybody here, every nation, about 15 different nations are gonna be mentioned. They all hear the gospel. Wow. Look at the next verse, verse seven. Utterly amazed, they ask, well, aren't all these... Uh, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? In other words, that's not a compliment. How are these people speaking all these languages? Galileans were like, like I'm from Indiana, I can say this, like Hicks from Indiana. I mean, they, 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 these were not, you know, classy, educated people. These were people that, like today, maybe didn't finish high school. How in the world are these people speaking all these different languages? We are amazed and we are perplexed, verse 8. This is how, this, then, then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Verse 9, Parthians, Medes, Elamanites, these are all the different Jews from all these different nations, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, keep going. Both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Verse 12. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, What does this mean? I'm going to explain that in just a second. But I want to take just two minutes and talk about the baptism of the Spirit and the fullness of the Spirit. If you're new to church, this won't make a lot of sense to you. If you've been coming to church for a long time, you've heard these expressions, and this is confusing. What is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And what is the fullness of the Holy Spirit? Again, if you want to take notes in your bulletin, I've got three different blanks for you there. Here we go. The baptism of the Spirit and the fullness of the Spirit. All right, just take the word the word baptism. Jesus was promised that he was gonna baptize with the Holy Spirit. Every Christian is baptized in the Holy Spirit. Every Christian gets the Holy Spirit. But not every Christian is full of the Spirit all the time. Those fillings and, and the fullness of God come at different points in your life. And there's a whole bunch of things that you can do to actually remove the fullness of God in your life. You can sin. You can stop reading your Bible. You can stop giving. You can stop serving. You can stop being dialed in. There's 25 different things that you can do to remove the fullness of God in your life. But when you become a Christian, there's nothing you can do to remove the baptism of God in your life. And so the baptism is not like a second thing that happens in your life. When you become a Christian, you are baptized into the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, how full of God's spirit, that's pretty much up to you. How full you want to be of God is is your choice. But the baptism, that's God's choice. Let me give some examples of this. Baptism, uh, I belong to his body. This is where I make a decision to become a Christian. But the fullness is my body, though, belongs to him. See the difference? The baptism is, I become a Christian. I give my life to him. But the fullness is, now I'm going to serve him and honor him with my body. Number two, baptism is final. But the fullness is repeated as we trust God for new power. You're a kid and you go away to camp and you give your life to Christ. That's the baptism but the next year you go back to camp and you again you have emotional experiences or you're touched by God's spirit or God God touches you in a great way that's the fullness you're in a church service sometime, and all of a sudden you're you're communion, and you just you feel God speaking to you, and, and you know that God is present in your life. You're driving down uh, the road, US-19, and yes, you can find God on US-19, and you're driving down the road, and all of a sudden you hear a scripture verse on the radio, and, and, and you, just, you just feel the presence of God, or you're praying together with somebody. That's, that's, how, that's repeated in your life. Number three, baptism connects us to all believers— but the fullness, that is personal. Baptism connects us to the body of Christ, but the fullness is my intimate relationship with my heavenly Father. Let's look at Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Acts 2, verse 22. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. And so now... Peter's trying to explain what's going on, this baptism of the Spirit, this, this, this gift is going to be pretty, pretty cool. And all these different people now, about 15 different nations, you know, thousands and thousands of people are now hearing the gospel in their own native language. The 120 are standing up and they're speaking these different languages and everybody's hearing the, hearing the gospel. Now, Peter's going to explain this. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you. This is the gospel. He's explaining the gospel. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Jump to verse 32. And so Peter's explaining this to these Jewish people who were the very ones who crucified him. These are the very ones who had sent him to the cross. These are the very ones who said, release Barabbas. What do we do with Jesus? Crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And Peter's saying he was crucified, but God raised this Jesus to life. And we're all witnesses of it. I love that little part of that verse. We saw it. We experienced it. We didn't hear about it. It's not urban legend. It's not a hundred years later. It's just, it's just like 10 days later. we're, We're dialed into this. We're witnesses. And you guys know this is true. You've heard the rumors that Jesus appeared to people all over the city. You know that for 40 days he was here making post-resurrection appearances. We're we're all witnesses of this. Verse 33, exalted the right hand of God, he has received from the Father, the promised Holy Spirit, and he has poured out, he has poured out what you now see and hear. You see, Jesus said change was coming, and the change was going to be the Spirit of God was now going to be poured out, and all the people who received Christ would now have the Spirit of Christ inside of him and inside of her, and they would never be the same, and that would change everything and everybody. Verse 36, therefore, Let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And they couldn't deny it. And the need for change was there. They were going to have to make a decision. We know he's speaking truth. We know we crucified him. We know that this man was attested by God with miracles and signs and wonders. And we know that God raised him from the dead and we know we're guilty. Now, what do you do when you need to change? What, what, what happens in your life when you know that you need to change? I, I don't think we like it. I, I don't think we like it, but I think we, we need it. What do you and I do? Well, there's about three options that we have. Number one, when God reveals to you that you need to change, you can, number one, ignore it. Number two, reject it or number 3 you can take action there's only really three options that you have anytime that god reveals there's change in your life you will ignore it you will reject it or you will embrace it you you will take action and so how do we change how do we grow see this isn't like the blind spot series the blind spot series was about things that need to change in your life that you can't see This is a series about already the things that you know that you need to change. So where where in your life has God been revealing to you that there is a need for change? And that's what the Spirit of God does. The Spirit of God is already at work in your life. Is it your attitude? Is it how you speak? Is it how you think? Is it how you treat people? Is it stress or you're overwhelmed or you've always got the accelerator pushed in the red? Where is God leading you to love more, to give more, to give less, to spend more time with family? Where is God asking you to change? I guarantee every one of us in this room are being challenged by God's Spirit for us to grow and for us to change. And so here these people are with this incredible, uh, difficult situation. We just killed the Messiah. Oh my gosh, is there any hope? What can we do? What are we going to do? And the very next verse, Acts chapter 2, verse 37 says this. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, what, what, in other words, this is like, this is worse than that commercial, want to get away. This is like, we made the biggest eternal mistake anybody could ever make for all of history. What do we do? We've got to change. And I think that's where many of us are are this morning. I want to encourage you this morning to camp out on your need for change just a minute. I don't want to gloss over it. I don't want to skim over it. I don't want to slide to the next slide real quickly. I want you to pause and think about your need for change. Where is it? Where is God asking you to grow up? Where is God asking you to transform? Where is God's spirit whispering into you saying, you know what, I am inside of you. I can aid you. I can assist you. I want you to share your faith. I want you to, where is God leading you? I want you to have more faith. I want you to have more courage. I don't want you to worry about the things of this world. I have overcome the world and every one of our concerns, every one of our areas where we need to change... To, aren't you glad you came to church this morning? Yes. Well, I hope so, because we're going to have eight, seven weeks of this. We're going to talk about this for about the next seven weeks. Because God's Spirit's going to lead you to change. Look at the next verse, verse 38. And so this is change. You killed the Messiah. You're a Jewish person from a Jewish nation. You're a Parthen, you're a Mede, an Elamite. You're from Mesopotamia, Cappadocia, Asia, Phrygia, Rome. You're from one of those areas. I, I, you want to change? Here's how you change. You change your mind. You change your mind about Christ. You thought he was a knockoff Savior. You thought he was a knockoff religion. You thought he was a hoax. I'm telling you, he's the Savior of the world. God raised him from the dead. You want to change? You change your mind. And it begins to change your behavior. And then you become baptized. And the cool thing about Christian baptism is that's your identification. That's your flag in the ground. That's you saying, I am going to be a Christian. You repent. You get baptized. And you do it in the name of this Savior. It's for the forgiveness of your sins. And you get to receive the gift. The gift. The gift of the Holy Spirit. You see, change occurs when you and I just keep sub- surrendering and submitting to that Holy Spirit that's already inside of us. So, what, what do we do? Well, I think you need to identify where it is God wants you to change. Do you talk too much? Do you not talk enough? Do you share your faith inappropriately? Do you share your faith when you have the opportunity? Where is he asking you to change? Are you all freaked out about money? Do you hoard money or do you not, are you not careful with money? What, what, what does he want you to do with money? It's a very spiritual topic. He talks more about money in the Bible than any other topic combined. What, what, about, what about how you spend your time? What about how you talk to people? What about your tone, your attitude? You see, he's leading you to change because you and I are his hands and his feet. You and I are his mouthpiece. And so I don't always want to change. I like that little bitty muzzle loader that I had when I was 10 and 11 years old. That gun felt good to me. That other gun didn't feel good. It was heavy and it had hair triggers and I barely touched the triggers and it would just explode. But my grandfather knew that the other gun would be fine, and I'd have fun with it, but he knew I wouldn't win. He knew I would win with this other gun, and he surrounded me with these incredible men 40 and 50 years older than me who taught me how to shoot, and I had the time of my life as this middle school and this high school kid uh, winning competitions all over and just having, the, having a ball doing that and so identify your area this morning where is it that God's asking you to change then I'd, I'd write it down if you don't write it down you won't remember it I'd write it down I'd pick one area where he's asking you to change where is he asking me to change morality money, faith service, Where is he? I don't know where it is I'm not your Holy Spirit where is he asking you to change I'd identify it, I'd write it down, and I'd tell somebody. I'd tell somebody. I'd ask somebody for help. I'd tell somebody so that you're accountable. I'd tell somebody so that they'll help you with this. I'd I'd tell somebody so they'll be a part of this. And then one of the coolest verses in the entire Bible for those of us that are Christians is 1 John 4, 4, which talks about greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The one who's in you is greater than the one who's in the world. You, dear children, are from God, and you've overcome them because the one who is in you is greater. So every day, the Spirit of God in you is greater than anybody or anything else. Because you, you're a Christian, the Spirit of God enables you to change. Don't really like it? I don't know that anybody likes change, but we need it. And we're better off for it and we're better off because of it. And so Jesus has left us his Holy Spirit and that's the change agent today. That's the catalyst in your life. And he's going to change you. He's going to change me. He's going to change our children. He's going to change our middle schoolers. He's going to change our high schoolers. He's going to change our young adults. He's going to change all of us. That's what the Spirit does. He grows us, and He grows us, and He grows us. So I want to encourage you today, if if you're not a Christian, we're going to give you a chance just a minute to change. We're going to have prayer partners come down front and give you a chance to change. And if you've never given your life to Jesus, why don't you stand up this time? Have the prayer partners come on down. That's that's your first decision. I'm going to decide to give my life to Christ. Number two would be being baptized. I'm going to have that flag in the ground. I'm going to identify with the greatest event in all of history, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And then I'm going to to let God change me today. I'm going to let God change me tomorrow. I'm going to let God change me the next day because of his spirit that is at work inside of us. Well, this morning with our prayer partners, maybe you're stuck and you know you need to change. I'm going to encourage you to come down front and to ask for prayer, to tell them where you're stuck and let them pray for you and pray with you because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And come back this afternoon for Chili. It's going to be good. We want you to come back. Jesus, um, thank you so much for giving us your spirit. Thank you so much for allowing us to change. We don't always like it, but boy, do we need it. Right now, if there are those in the room that are not Christians, I want to encourage them to choose you and to choose to be baptized and to choose to walk in your spirit. And I pray for all of us in this room that we will not stay stuck, but we will move in our relationship with you. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Perfect. Just right. Just right.